Hello, this is Tom Bergmeier, and welcome to Clubhouse Conversations. Every summer in Kansas City, 25 men have one simple mission, to win. Starting pitchers, corner power hitters, middle relievers, speedy gloves up the middle, closers, utility infielders, backup catchers, and they're each remembered here. From 1969 to last year, all Royals careers have been preserved with the most comprehensive collection of facts, memories, and stories in existence. Welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. And hello, Royals fans. This is Dave O, and I'm glad you are along for another edition of Clubhouse Conversation, the place where we catch up with all your favorite current and former Royals players. And on this September 2015 evening, we're joined by Tom Bergmeier, who pitched for the Royals from 1969 until 1973. Bergie was an original Royal for those years, appearing in 196 games with the Royals a 3-2-0 ERA, 28 saves. Bergmeier was a lefty and was in the big leagues overall for parts of 17 seasons. Before coming over to KC, he came up with the Angels. Then the Royals took him in the expansion draft, went on to pitch with the Twins, the Red Sox, where he was an all-star in 1980, and the Athletics as well. And Bergmeier, a guy who spent 22 total years in the Royals organization. Not only those years as a player, but also as a coach all the way down to a ball through the big leagues. And we'll talk about all that and so much more as Bergie joins us on Clubhouse Conversation. First of all, thanks so much, Tom, for your time. And second of all, how's everything going with you? Uh, very well. Uh, you know, I've been retired the last uh, six years. Uh, my last year coaching was 2009. And being retired is pretty nice. You do what you want. You uh, go fishing, hunting, play golf a lot of time with the family so it's been quite enjoyable yeah 22 total years in the royals organization for you so i, I got to assume you're having a lot of fun these last couple of years watching the success right oh always i mean anytime uh you know you see the team that one of the teams that you were with for several years do well uh it's just it's just kind of nice and being a player uh you see players that come up through the organization and a couple of them i had in triple a uh, it just it just makes it gratifying to say that you see guys getting better, and it's that that system never changes. Do you make it out to the K much these days? I go out there. We have a you know alumni, a pretty nice alumni setup here. So my family goes to a few games, and I, I've been out there a couple times signing autographs, and and friends of mine uh, go, and sometimes they have. Uh, uh, some real nice tickets in a suite or something, and they invite me along, so I go for that too. And we have a lot of baseball conversation in, uh, during the game, so it's uh, quite enjoyable. Absolutely. Well, we're going to come, you know, talk lots more about your Royal days here in a little bit, but let's go way back to your childhood then. Let's start off a long time ago. So you had seven brothers and sisters. You grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota. You went to the Cathedral High School up there, so you played baseball, hockey, and wrestling. Was baseball always your number one, though, your go-to growing up? Well, I was the smallest. I was the smallest kid in class from the time I was a freshman to the time I was a senior. Me and a, me and a couple other guys. I'll never forget their names. Dave Cushel, which was a good friend of mine who has passed on, and a guy named Kenny Kloskins. The three of us were like the three musketeers, but we were like three midgets. And when it came to high school, because of our size, we were. I think I graduated, I think I was 5'7", and weighed about 130, 40. Wow. When I was a senior, so when I was a freshman, I was under 100 pounds, and 
Cushel and Kenny Kloskins were the same way. So, so just uh, playing sports, I, I played football, went out football the first year, and I said, boy, this isn't any fun. The guys were a lot bigger, and I mean, I was fast, but so I, you know, growing up in Minnesota, you you obviously skate because there's a lot of ice during the winter. Mm. And so I took up hockey and played hockey, and wrestling was good too, and then supplemented just athletics. You know, the baseball was by far always my favorite. Yes. Who do you credit most then growing up? Was there a coach? Was it your parents? Who you know? Who kind of helped you stay with baseball and, and teach you that much? Well, uh, we used to go out in in, in the backyard and the alley. We didn't have a field or anything, and, and actually I grew up in St. Cloud. Uh, we moved to St. Cloud when I was, that's where Cathedral is. I moved, we moved there when I was about five or six years old. So I grew up there, and uh, the, uh, this Dave Cushel, a, a good friend of mine, lived right across the street. Well, every day we'd get together and go out in the alley and play 500 and hit fly balls to each other and take ground ball and just do, do all kinds of things baseball-wise, and it just seems like it was it was uh, the natural thing. Then we, you know, you go swimming and do all the other things too. But then uh, there was a article in the paper about St. Cloud's going to have its first little league uh, tryouts. So we rode our bikes over there when when the date came, and and uh, I'll never forget that. You know, we were out playing all the time. So could we throw better than most kids? Sure. Could we run by? Well, you know, we could. We're, we're good athletes, but we could throw a lot farther and harder than other kids because we were throwing all the time. And the guy, we got in line, and the guy said, "Don't oh, throw the ball to that guy over there. He's standing there about 100 feet away. And, and uh, me and Dave Cushel said, you know, we're in line. We said, man, that guy's way too close. We can throw a lot farther than that. So we get up there, and the guy said, just throw it. This guy says, the guy's too close. Well, throw it as far as you can. So we, you know, I threw one, you know, a couple hundred feet over the guy's head. <laughs> And the and the guy says, uh, "You're going to be a pitcher." And I said, "That's what I want to do." <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that worked out well because you threw yeah. two no so that, hitters. Then, right, senior year of high school. Oh yeah, I mean that you know you when you threw harder and had a little uh, curveball and what have you. Obviously, the the uh, competition, uh, you know, you, you overmatch guys because you get throw harder. That doesn't apply once you sign professionally, but I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but for little league and high school and uh, legion ball, and then I played some amateur ball with the little city teams, you know, and we always had a great time doing that too. So we were playing all the time. Yeah, well, I, like I said, you—I mean, in 1961, your senior year, two no hitters. I believe one was in 11 innings. You led your team to the state championship. I'm assuming those memories are still pretty vivid in your mind. Oh, sure. I mean, it's just. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, a friend of mine named Bob Carn, he was just inducted into the Minnesota Hall of Fame. They won Cathedral won the state championship again this year. So I said they sent out email, email to everybody, and I, I, you know, I congratulate him. And and he he said he uses me as an example all the time about working hard and what have you in high school and that, which we did because we we played ball all the time. And it would, it, did it turn out to be uh, the right thing to do? Absolutely. And even while I was playing, I you know, there's the, the what's the old saying? The the harder I worked, the luckier I became. Yeah. And that's that's factual stuff, you know. 
Yeah, well, so you graduate high school then. You're playing Legion ball, and then you get signed by the Houston Colt 45s. The scout was John Sturm. So, I mean, were you were you ever looking at going to college, or was it always baseball, and that was an easy choice to sign? It was a pretty easy choice, but back then there wasn't any there wasn't any uh, uh, draft or anything. So that several teams uh, from the time I was a senior uh, until I signed, several teams they'd contact you and want to take you and your dad or family out to dinner and, and talk baseball and kind of talk you into signing with that organization. Well, I, you know, I went, I think I went with the Dodgers, the Cincinnati, the Twins. Uh, geez, I can't even, it's been so long, I can't remember, but there was several teams. And then I remember my dad and I sitting down and, and after several of them and saying, well, geez, it, it's pretty logical to sign with the Houston Colt 45s because it's a brand new organization. So are your opportunities going to be better there? Well, possibly. So, and that's how I end up signing with the uh, Houston Colt 45s. Yeah, so from 1962 to 64, you're with them in Modesto, San Antonio, and Durham, but then you never made it past AA before they released you. So before we talk about the Angels picking you up then, I mean, going back to when you got cut in 64, I mean, how heartbreaking was that? And, I mean, did you ever begin, you know, second-guess your dreams of making it to the big leagues? Did you think it was over ever? Well, not then. You're, you're young, and but, you know, like I said, during those, that area, there wasn't any draft, so as soon as... As soon as the schools got out, the colleges got out, no matter what team you were on. And I, uh, I had just gotten out of the service. I, went, uh, I had a very low draft number, so I went into the service. And, and we got out after spring training. There was three of us that went in, and they sent me back to Modesto. Well, I didn't do real well, so they, they, uh, they uh, I can't remember if it was in June or whatever, uh, Geez, it was like wholesale slaughter. When when school got out, they'd sign a whole bunch of guys, and a whole bunch of guys got released. So came to the park one day, and the guy says, hey, they want to see you in the office. Uh, there's no uniform. I sang it in my locker, and he says, they want to see you in the office. And I said, oh, I know what that is. So, you know, everybody knew. So you go to the office and the GM, and and it was pretty cut and dried. They said, oh, we're going to release you today. But the, the GM says, but I have, a, I have a Sunday team that I sponsor, and, would you would you would you want to pitch for me on a, on a Sunday? And I said, Well, yeah. Well, geez, I, I think I played uh, two games and you know striking out ten or fifteen or twenty. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you were overmatching them too. You were professional and they were were amateurs. And then a, uh, a guy named Rosie Gilhausen. He signed. Uh, I believe he signed George Brett. And I mean, he was a very famous scout in Southern California. Uh, he called me. Actually, he called the office and told him to get me in there, and I'm going to call on such and such a date. You know, it was a couple of days later, and he called me and said, "Are you hurt?" And I says, "No." And he says, "Well, I, I really like the way you throw." He says, "If you're not hurt, go to San Jose tomorrow." So I, I drove over to San Jose the next day, huh. and uh, let's see, Rocky Bridges was the manager, and yep. We were getting ready to go on the road, and he going to go in and get a uniform and on the bus, and off we went on the road. And So I was there a couple of months, and the next year I went to AAA. Yeah, Rocky had uh, he'd put in a word for you too, right, because you pitched against him. You know, he, he liked the way you pitched too? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I found out that later, but, uh, you know, the scouts, are they're, they're always around, and it's, it's like anything else. With, I mean, 
I've seen a lot of guys get released that throw real well, and you wonder you wonder why. Well, I never I never had lack of desire in that. So was it a was it a, a positive break? Sure. And then from then on, uh, did I work harder or do anything uh, any differently? No. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, you, you kind of you didn't take for granted that you were playing. You just, uh, I mean, I always worked hard, and I said, you know, nobody's ever going to outwork me and what have you. But I think part of it, growing up in Minnesota, where you only have a few months to play, in all the other months of the year, you're doing something else, whether it be play basketball, uh, hockey, wrestling, you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas people that grew up in, players that grew up in warmer climates, they actually a lot more experience and a lot more training that's just natural progression as to becoming a better player. And I noticed that when I was in AAA. I think the one year, uh, I believe it was my last year in AAA, I had 230 innings, hmm. which is unheard of now in any kind of minor league system, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then, well, actually, my first year, when I was 18 years old, I go to Modesto, I had 65 innings or whatever it was in high school. I show up Modesto at the end of the year, I had 200 innings. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so it's a different era now. Now, geez, guy signed and he get 70 innings, so we better cut him back. He had a <laughs> college career or whatever. Yeah. So that year I had 230 innings. Well, I had probably had, I don't know how many in spring training, probably had 20, 25 in spring training or whatever. 230 during the season and then went to winter ball, and I believe I had 100 there. <laughs> well, yeah, let's so let's talk about that 1967 in uh, in Seattle. So before that, you mentioned a couple of the places you'd been, um, El Paso as well. But Seattle, there you uh, had 15 complete games. You led the PSL there in '67. You had a 2.78 ERA, and then you mentioned winter ball. So you go there to Puerto Rico, and I've uh, let it, you know read a quote from you where you said, "quote I learned more than I had in all the seasons in the minors. I won 11 games and got to face guys like Cepeda and Clemente." So talk more about that experience in Puerto Rico. Well, you realize, other than uh, spring training, my actually my second year, they put me on the major league roster. So I was 19. I go to spring training, and you got to face guys with names, and you you put the names and the faces together, and and you you, you kind of realize not only because of the competition, whatever, but you realize that they're no different than you are. And so, baseball is purely individual uh, execution when you think about that execution so if you can as a pitcher if you don't walk anybody and you throw a lot of strikes and you keep the ball down and get your breaking ball over the plate it's pretty systematic if you do that didn't say you're going to be a star and be great every single day but by the time you get to the end of the road you're going to be pretty good and I always adopted that and it was just a matter of of uh, being able to do it, you know. Even when I was in AAA, well, Mike Jersley is the is the uh, third base coach for the Royals now. So I I coached for him for several years there. My last four years in Omaha, and the guy would be he'd be wild and and uh, you know, and he's in AAA and he's wild. And Jersey would say, "Geez, Berg, what's wrong with this guy?" <laughs> I said, "It's." I, I'd always tell him, "I said, Jersey, it's not his fault." He said, what the hell do you mean it's not his fault? He's in AAA. He should be able to do all this. I says, no, it's not his fault because he, because he's not capable. 
He'd say, not capable? What the hell's he doing in AAA? What do you mean he's not capable? I said, let me finish. <laughs> he's not capable yet. Yet being not enough training. Sometimes it's mental. A lot of times it's physical and mental. But the physical aspect of baseball is purely statistical. If I do the things that we just talked about here, keep the ball down, get my breaking ball over the plate, have a positive attitude and do those things, at the end of the road, I'm going to be pretty good. That's, that's just a fact. That's, I didn't come up with this. So I always, I always adopted that and saying, look at the stats. I said, geez, if you don't walk anybody, you're, you're going to give up hits. You're going to give up home runs. You're going to do all those things. But if you don't walk anybody, unless it's intentional, you're not putting extra guys on bases and they're going to score a lot less runs. That's just a, that's just a baseball fact. Yeah, amen. So you make yeah. your your first big league roster then, 1968 with the Angels. You pitched there the entire season, 56 games. You had two starts. So that you know, spring training, I'm assuming right out of there, I'm assuming there was a moment, you know, a moment where they told you you made the roster. Do you remember that moment? Who told you what that was like? Yeah, uh, let's see. Bob Lemon was the pitching coach, I believe. I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Lem. And we got down to the end of end of spring training, and then he called me aside and said, hey, kid, you know, you always call me, hey, kid, uh, you made the team. Well, geez, obviously you're, you were elated, you know, because you're, you're in spring training with, uh, well, 50, 50 guys. It's not like 65 like it is today or 80 or whatever they have now. But uh, you're, and a lot of these guys had big league experience, and the other, you know, the guys that don't make it are just, just like the Royals are today. There's, they send 10, 12 guys uh, down to AAA. Do they have a chance to get to the big leagues that year? Sure, they do. I just, I just was fortunate enough. They had a had a good spring and did what was capable, and it was durable too. I could pitch, you know, I could pitch multiple innings and days, and and never had any arm problems and things like that. So it, it's a, it's a learning experience, regardless of what what year or how you get to the big leagues. It's every every time out there, you're learning in the times that you struggle. What happens? Your control is not as good. You're not getting the ball down in the zone, and all those things. Getting back to the same thing, it's pretty, pretty flat, pretty factual. Yeah. Well, I like to always ask pitchers who their first strikeout was, and I've asked probably sixty guys. I think only one guy hasn't known yet. So yours didn't come until your sixth big league appearance. So maybe this makes it more difficult against the Senators. Do you remember who that was? No clue. Really? No. <laughs> it was a pitcher, Darald Knowles. Daryl Knowles. Daryl Knowles. There we go. Jeez, I have to. I have to tell old. We call him Buckethead. In fact, Daryl and I became very good friends uh, while I was playing for the Royals because he lived in Blue Springs. Oh, I didn't know that. He's a local guy. Oh yeah, he grew up in. He grew up in. Uh, I think Brunswick, Missouri, but he was living in Blue Springs, and I was out there looking for a house at the time. We ran into each other in the real estate office. Became good friends, and we. We quail hunted for oh, 15 years together, and he ended up moving back to, uh, I think he lives in St. Pete now. He's still coaching, matter of factly. Huh. Uh, as far as I know, I haven't talked to him in a few years, but, yeah, and that's pretty interesting. So I st- struck out Daryl Knowles. I'll have to tell him that <laughs> next time I see him. Yeah, you're six. No, I had, no, I had no clue. I mean, guy call, uh, called me last year doing it, and everyone asked Remember when you won your first game with the Royals? I said, no clue. I mean, <laughs> it's not—it's not that you, you don't you don't appreciate it. You just—it's something you're not even 
No, I don't. Yeah. That's uh, been a long time, too. So before we get to uh, so the next year when you came over to KC, so real quick while we're talking about it, kind of give us a, a scouting report on what you threw, you know, pitches. And do you have any idea where you sat at and topped out at on the radar gun? Well, in today's, the gun's a little faster today. I would probably be in the high 80s, okay. you know, 88. Uh, maybe, you know, might hit 90 once in a while at, at today's guns because Texas always had, they had a gun in Texas. It was the only stadium that had a gun in my recollection, and they'd always record the fastest pitch you threw that inning. And I had I had some in 88, 89 back then. So I, I assume I could top out, but I was I was never anybody that was ever gonna gonna say, oh boy, he's throwing harder today or whatever. My my forte was throw strikes, keep the ball down, two seam, two seam fastball. When I was when I was in the Minor leagues, there was a guy, I believe his name was Jack Cafferty. He was a left-handed pitcher. He said, geez, you ever hold the ball like this, kid? I said, no, I never did, because I always hold it, held it cross-seam, four-seam. So I never have. So we started playing catch, and my ball started moving a whole lot more. <laughs> and for the next 20 years, I never threw a four-seam fastball, not one. Wow. I threw some cutters. You know, that was kind of like the like the supplement, like a, instead of throwing a four-seam fastball, I threw a little cutter, and not very many of those either. Why? Movement, movement to me to this day is still a number one key. It's harder to it's harder to square the ball up with any kind of movement, regardless of how good the hitter is. So if you keep the ball down and the ball is sinking, gravity and movement too you have a better chance to being more successful. And that's evidenced by the amount of home runs I gave up. Yeah, not. I, I was pretty when it's stingy, I say, uh, in relationship to how many innings I had. Did you not? Did you did you throw a curveball or slider or anything? Or was oh it yeah, just... I threw. Uh, well, I threw a curveball. Uh, actually, used the uh, knuckle curve. Okay. But I never, I didn't have my fingernail on on the ball. I had, I completely folded my index finger all the way up. Okay. But then I changed as I, after I was in the big leagues, did I change? Yes. Then I became a more conventional, a conventional grip with uh, holding the ball in, on different seams and what have you to, and changing speeds to make it break more and all the things you learn. That's what to me is being a pitcher. In fact, when I was coaching, I used to tell guys, I said, there's throwers and there's pitchers. There's nothing wrong with being a thrower because that's what you are. You don't have real good command, but you've got real good stuff. And the Royals have some of those to this day. It doesn't. It's not a derogatory statement. This guy's a thrower. This guy's a pitcher. A guy that's a pitcher is a guy that can paint. And he can command all his pitches in most situations instead of just throwing 95 and say, here, hit it and... I mean, you watch the games. The guys hold the glove outside, and he throws it inside or high, and he gets the guy out. And <laughs> yep. Does it make any difference? Absolutely not. Yeah, you're totally right about that. It's about getting out. Well, so after that season then, so your first season over there in the big leagues, so October 15th of 1968 rolls around. The expansion draft and the Royals and Pilots come into existence, obviously. Casey takes both you and Paul Shaw from the Angels. So take us back to that moment you found out that news. Were you, I mean, first of all, were you kind of expecting to be chosen in that draft? And then what do you remember about when you found out? 
Remember the date? Yeah, October 15th? Oh, October 15th. Well, I was playing in Puerto Rico. Wow. I was playing for Caguas that year. So when the season ended, in fact, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that year we we played for the championship game and got beat. And, of course, it jumped on a plane and flew right to KC to find a place to live uh, and found a place over on 47th and Jarbo, found an apartment, and then went back to Minnesota for, oh, heck, that was that was probably, by the time we get done, it was in January. So by the time I got done, I was home, you know, home a couple of weeks and off to spring training we go. So obviously... Were you excited? Sure, because you're with one organization and you don't you don't ever plan on leaving. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden you get drafted. Well, geez, that's an expansion club. That's a that's a good break too. Of course it is. Yeah. To this day, if you started an expansion team, you take all these players. Oh boy, the, t- the talent level is down, and there would be a whole bunch of guys that you never thought. Well, oh, I didn't think he was going to be that good. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, Hundred percent. So, I mean, yes. what, what do you remember about that uh, about that first spring training event? So, you get there in '69. Who are some of the teammates you kind of hit it off with right away? And what sticks out about that first spring training? Let's see. I believe I believe I was rooming with Steve Whitaker. Okay. Yep. And it was right at the end of spring training. We had a great time of spring training, and you know, it was very upbeat because you got a brand new expansion team, and we had a bunch of good players. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he got traded the mm-hmm. last week for Lou Pinella. Do you have that? Or? I think that's right. Yeah, I know he got traded right before it started. That sounds yeah, right. Yeah, it was just a few days left in spring training, and we traded, I can't remember, was it to the Yankees? Was Pinella with the Yankees? I but you know, I don't have total recollection, but I'm, I'm, I was pretty sure that he got traded for Lou Pinella in the last few days of spring training. And that was it, kind of a you know was it a, an upbeat spring training? Was everybody pretty excited to be there? Oh sure, yeah. yes, very much so. I mean, uh, we had another guy too, Edgar Patrick was mm-hmm. uh, another guy. I believe he was in the draft too. Paul Shaw, myself, and Edgar Patrick. He came from the Angels too, and Marty Patton went to Seattle. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Good. Marty Patton and I we we lived together in the minor leagues one year in Seattle, so we were good friends too. Yeah, it was very upbeat because brand you know a new organization, but all almost everybody there had been in the, the big leagues, you know, the year before. So you just you're just you're, you keep playing, you keep doing, keep doing what you're doing. Well, you pitched actually in the first game in Royals history then. So it's April 8th, 1969, Municipal Stadium. You picked off Tony Oliva that day. You threw one inning. I mean, do you remember much about either that outing or the first day there? Not a thing. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I just remember looking at the box score. Uh, let's see, was it? we did a we did a, a get together up at uh, what's that restaurant up North Chaparral? Oh, Chapels. Or Chapels, I mean. Yep. And we were sitting there with Dave Wicker, Sam was there, and myself, and and uh, let's see, uh, God, it was Fitzmorris and. So we were having lunch and going, doing some stuff, and and they were saying, "Yo, you you, you pitched on such and such." I, yes, I pitched no. And he, he said, "No, I pitched." Wickersham was saying, "Oh, no, I pitched uh, such and such," and I followed Wally Bunker. Well, he was all confused. <laughs> so when he got home, he called. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I, you pitched too. And so you know, 
I think I gave up, uh, I must have given up a hit or something that day or whatever, and then they took me out and brought in Abernathy, I, was, I think. And mm-hmm. he, got the, he got the win on that first game. Yep, Joe Keough with the big hit. Joe Keough, yeah. And then the next day, same thing happened, and that's, that's how I got uh, the win the next day. Very okay. nice. That's what the guy told me. I had no recollection either. Tell <laughs> you the truth, but when you win your first game, I said, "I don't know." <laughs> what did I did I win a game with the Angels in '68? I don't even. I don't. I yeah, you did. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it was one in four. Or yeah. Something, or yeah. Do I remember what it was or where? No. <laughs> but I could. I could. I could probably dig through some of my baseballs upstairs, and it's, it's probably written on what I'm saying. You know, first major league win. Or you could look it up on on uh, uh, Baseball Reference or whatever. Yep. But I really don't to this day. I really, I, I really don't. Well, so let's talk about Joe Gordon for a second. So, you know, what was he like? And then were you kind of surprised that he didn't come back in 1970? Not really, because he more or less he more or less stated when they hired him that he was just going to be a one year uh, guy just to kick off the uh, expansion team. He was great to play for. You know that you know that saying. He was a player's manager. Mm-hmm. What the heck is a player's manager? <laughs> yeah, what is your, what's your definition of a, a player's manager? Is something that gets along with players, but you let guys do what they're what they're capable of doing. You know, you can take all you can take all the best managers that's ever ever been in the game of baseball, and you take them and let me pick the players. We're going to beat the hell out of you. Yeah, see what I mean? I mean, you got to have. The players make the game. The manager, he just kind of he keeps. How do you? I don't understand how you. I played for dozens of managers. Did it make any difference who was managing how you performed? Absolutely not. Really? Well, well think about it. What? How could you? I mean, I've had some players saying, "Oh, I, I played better for him." I, I said, "I don't understand." If you're if you're a pitcher and whoever comes out of the dugout. And he takes the pitcher out of the game, and you're coming in relief, or you're the starter, or whatever. When they hand you the ball, what is your job? Your job is to do what you're trained and capable of doing, and that is to get the ball over the plate, keep it down, da da da, you know, etc. etc. And the end result results in outs. What difference does it make who's managing that you do that? That's true, actually. It is actually. I mean, that's what I said. It's a very factual thing that, for me, and it did I did I like some managers better than others? Absolutely. Did I like Joe Gordon? Fantastic. Bob Lemon, outstanding. Uh, and there were some guys that, that uh, played for Gene Mock. Did you like him? No. What? Dif- it didn't make any difference. Yeah. You just. I mean, he, he's the manager. He brings in the game, and because you hear guys after their careers over and saying. Uh, I said, well, "How'd you like playing for Cleveland?" I, you know, I didn't like uh, the manager. Didn't like me. Well, if you look at if you looked at it, what he did there, stats and what have you, they wouldn't be very good. Right. So that's it's just human nature, you know. Yeah, I, I mean that makes sense. So the manager, the manager didn't like me. Well, I, I didn't do very well. Does, yeah. it have, does it have any to do with the manager that you didn't do well? Come on. Yeah, a lot of people blaming other people. So that, of course it is, but that's that's human nature, and to to uh, have some kind of crutch that 
the reason I didn't do it good is because the manager didn't like me. But mm-hmm. as far as the playing ability, in the same with a guy sending him a guy up to pinch hit after the game. All the reporters get in the room and they ask the manager why he pinch hit so and so. Well, that's his job, <laughs> you know. Much like Jimmy Dwyer, what was the job? He's a very good pinch hitter. Oh, what's his job? To get a hit. Is he going to get a hit every time? How many guys hit 300? Right. Not very many. So if he sent him up to pinch hit 10 times and he gets three hits, he's real good, isn't he? <laughs> You're right, though, when you break it down that way. Yeah, and the other seven times, and the press asked the manager, oh, geez, you pinch hit Jim uh, Dwyer or whoever, and he, di- he didn't get a hit. Well, geez. <laughs> right. We, we know that. So, you know, it's pretty, pretty obvious. So the manager is using the personnel that he has. So the better players you have. You ever seen a bad team in the playoffs? Yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> you ever seen a bad team in, in uh, the World Series? No. And you never will. Yeah. You never will. That's, it just doesn't happen. You gotta, I don't care if you win, uh, if you're under 500 and you win your division. You're the best team in that division. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Obviously, are you the best team that's in the playoffs? Probably not. Can you still win? Absolutely. Depends on who's hot at the particular time. Well, 1970, you mentioned Bob Lemon a second ago. So Bob Lemon was your manager after being reunited. You know, he's with you with the Angels back in the day. Charlie Metro managed that year for a bit as well. You got in 41 games, had a 3-1-6. And one thing I wanted to ask you after that year, and these old Royals media guys, I love how you know people had off-season jobs. It says you were, quote, an advertising salesman. Tell, I'm intrigued about this. Tell us about that. Well, these uh, a couple guys we were talking the other day about when we got done playing uh, 60s, early 70s, uh, up to the mid-70s, as soon as the season was over, you, you got some kind of job. Well, a friend of mine had had uh, an advertising deal, and so I sold advertising to bowling alleys. Huh. You know, the little signs that they hang up in bowling alleys and what have you. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was no different than the other year. One year I sold WD-40. <laughs> Did you really? One, That's cool. Yeah, one year I worked as an electrician at a power plant here in Kansas City over on the way to the airport. That huge six or 500-foot stack, whatever it is over there. <laughs> yeah. I worked there as an electrician one year. Jim Rucker, myself, uh, I thought it was Chris Zach. Yeah, I thought Chris Zachary, maybe. I can't remember. Three of us worked over there. So he got a job, yeah. Didn't make any money. Nowadays, the guys make uh, more than a half a mil uh, right out of the minor leagues. You, you don't need a job in the offseason. You get a, they have a trainer and and uh, do whatever. So changing times. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, yeah. that next year, 1971, one of your best big league years, you got in 67 games, a 1.73 ERA with 17 saves. So you and Ted Abernathy were the best left-right duel in the entire league. So how much fun was 71, and what was Ted like? Oh, Abby was fantastic. He was a lot of fun. I mean, great in the clubhouse and pitch and the submarine and Geez, he'd, you know, he'd throw between his legs, and I believe the last, I was thinking it was the last game in in, uh, in the old Met, I think he threw the rosin bag one pitch. <laughs> Did he really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> and, of course, they go, you know. But he was, he was a prankster and had a great time, great attitude. <laughs> Just a lot of fun. Yeah, we kind of ham and egged it that year. Well, I noticed... I noticed in my career, not 
not being the typical uh, closer or setup guy, as you would call him today, if you came in the game back then, you might have pitched the 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth and got a save. I don't know how many more than one inning I had that year. I know the one year with the Red Sox, uh, the guy told me I had 24 saves that year. Just I was kind of pushed into the closer because Bill Campbell got hurt, and I think Bob Stanley had 17 that year too. So between us, I had 24, he had 17. I had 19 of more than one inning. Jeez. That's what the guy told me. Different time. So it's different times. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I know a good friend of mine, Bill Campbell, I said, just think, Soup, if we were playing the day and you only had to come in and pitch one inning or face one hitter, you could play till you're 60. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. The way, you know, back then, look at Satchel Page, right? <laughs> yep. Well, in fact, I was just reading that the other day in the paper. Well, uh, let's see, Spark Lyle, I believe he holds the all-time American League record for innings. 1260. Jeez. I believe I have 1258 two thirds, I think. That's Do you really? Guy, guy told me that uh, last week at one of the, some charity golf tournament I was in. <laughs> I love how you I love how you rely on other people to tell you your stats. That's well, yeah, funny. I mean, that's, <laughs> they look at they look stuff up. You play in a golf tournament with them and stuff and they say, "Yeah, I played with you last year. I looked you up. Boy, you had a couple of good years, 71 <laughs> and 80 and I said, "Yeah, that's, that's pretty lucky those years, you know." Well, here's another stat for you. So, 1972, 51 games on the mound there, final year Municipal Stadium, and you're quite the hitter. I got to give you a plug. I mean, 12 at bats, you hit 333, right? So, I mean, you're a decent hitter. I got the hit with the extra men. Yeah, all right. Uh, and it was, uh, let's see, I think it was, I'm trying to think what year it was. I just, I can't remember who the manager was, but it could have been 69, could have been 70, I'm not sure. They approached me, wanted me to go to instructional league, and or actually they wanted me to go to Omaha and play center field. So they approached me and said, "Geez, uh, hey Berg, we'd like you to go to Omaha and play center field." And I said, "Hey, I can run them down as good as anybody." And I said, uh, "I enjoy shagging their BP, I enjoy all that, but right now I'm a pitcher. If I don't make it as a pitcher, then I will take a different avenue." Yeah, but I did go to I did go to instructional league for a month, and I hit well. And of course, I could I could run them down as good as anybody. And so I, you know, I did fine. I said, yeah, I'll go I'll go for a month and do that. But I'm a pitcher. Until that stops, I will continue to pitch. I didn't know about that. That's cool. That yeah. You... So then I got to hit with the extra men, and then when I even uh, later in my career when I went to Boston. Uh, I got to hit with the extra men, which was huh. kind of fun because you never know. You might be used to actually have, uh, I don't have total recollection, but I was, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of pitchers play the outfield, yeah. especially in the National League because they run out of players and they have to use a guy. But 19, I think that was 1980. Oh, yeah, I've got a question about that later. That's yeah, right. yeah. Well, we can wait on that then if you want. Yeah, I, I, we'll get there. So, I mean, it's, well, couple, well, one more question, I guess, about 73 then. So, 73, Jack McKeon takes over. That's the, the first year of the brand-new Royal Stadium. And, of course, you closed down Municipal Stadium in 72. What do you remember? I mean, I don't, are you a sentimental guy? Was it kind of sad or exciting getting out of Municipal Stadium? Were you excited about the new one? What do you remember about those two parks? Well, sure. I mean, it was George Tom was the groundskeeper there, so it was it was beautiful. 
And it was a little bigger in left field, so from a pitcher's perspective, obviously you loved it. But going into the new stadium, everybody was totally excited, too. So everything was brand new. We had new uniforms. That was the first year they they dropped the wool uniforms and went to the double knit. So you were wearing the stretchy uniforms, no belts, no uh, no uh, buttons on the shirt. They were pullover. Remember those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was to this day they are still the most comfortable uniform imaginable. Really? Oh yeah. There was no there was no uh, restriction whatsoever because they were made out of the kind of the spandex material. So everybody was, I mean, excited about going to the new stadium. The clubhouse is brand new, everything. So it was pretty nice, yes. But leaving the old stadium from a pitcher's perspective is was pretty nice, too. Well, you ended up getting traded after 73 um, to the Twins for a minor league pitcher named Ken Gill. So, I mean, where were you at when you got that news? And, you know, how special was it for a kid from Minnesota being traded to the Twins? It was, it was a, a good deal. In fact, I can't remember... Lou Gorman was the assistant mm-hmm. GM at that time, I believe. And way back when, it wasn't very good idea if you were the player rep. And I was the player representative for the Royals, and they had a pretty good year in '71, uh, decent in '72, and I was only in several games there in in '73. And they called me in the office, and they said they're going to send me to the minor leagues. I said, whoa. And I needed three more days for five years. Ah. Well, back then, if you had five years in, they had to get your permission to send you to the minor leagues or you became a free agent. So I guess you can figure that one out for yourself, can't you? Oh, yeah. So as soon as that was done, Lou Gorman and I were very good friends, and I I called Lou, and I said, Lou, obviously the organization is done with me and, and whatever. And I said, I'd, I'd really appreciate it if you could, if you could uh, trade me. He said, oh, Tom, don't worry. I, I can trade you. And he traded me to the Twins. And from that day on, every time I saw Lou, because I played several more years after that, obviously, played another 10 or 11 years after that. Or, so every time I saw him, because he was, he was involved with the Red Sox, too. So every time I saw him, we, we always, you know, I always thanked him. Lou, I just to this day I just can't thank you enough for trading me. <laughs> and he's, he's he's since passed as well. Yeah, he did. That's so Minnesota from seventy four to seventy seven again formed quite the left right tandem with Bill Campbell. So you got in two hundred fourteen games with the Twins, which is more than you appear with any other team actually. Uh, just one more than Boston two thirteen with Boston two fourteen with Minnesota. So your favorite memories of pitching in Minnesota? What sticks out? Well, my family being there for one thing. My dad, uh, my dad, and mom. Uh, they had like a 25-foot camper. They had come down to every single homestand. And growing up with my dad, we hunted and fished all the time. And they had their camper out in the parking lot. And after every every home game, I don't think there was once where I just went home. I'd, I'd go out to the camper. And Bill Campbell and Tommy Johnson and Jesus, I mean, all the players at some point in time would would come by or several of us would go out there every night, sit there and have a couple of beers, and my dad would fry fish. Hmm. And he did that every single night. So it was great. And then on off days, guess what? My dad and I went fishing. 
Oh, yeah. what a great so, memory. That's yeah, great. it was it was fantastic. Plus, I lived, you know, I could look out of the apartment I was living in there because I had a home, I had a home in Kansas City, and I always kept that. I'd look, I could look out the window of the apartment, and I could see the light standards of the old Met. So it was, you know, three, four miles to the ballpark. It was, it was, uh, the atmosphere around there was good too, and the countryside. Growing up in that. You know, you just lakes everywhere and fishing everywhere. I used to drive to the park and stop and fish a couple places on the way to the park. Even. <laughs> That's awesome. So Die was, hard. I love it. Yeah, it was it was it was really enjoyable. And of course, my whole family being there that was that was fun. And all the guys I went to high school with and played with, so we got together and geez, I mean, it, it was a lot of fun. So, did you always keep? The, I mean, you always lived in Kansas City from that point forward when you when you came here. When I when I came back from Puerto Rico in '68 and got an apartment down in. On 47th of Jarbo, uh, lived there till uh, 71, 69, yeah, seven, uh, 69, 70, 71, and moved out to Overland Park, about a house right right by Oak Park Mall. Okay. 100th and Quivira, Oak Park Mall wasn't there then, <laughs> there was nothing there. <laughs> and I was a big hunter and had bird dogs and I remember for a couple of years I could go out my front door of the house and tell my wife, I'll be back in a couple of hours. I'd go out and shoot my living a quail and never have to get in the car. Truck. <laughs> How nice is that? That's great. Yeah, that was nice. And then, of course, lived there until 87 and then moved, moved out farther south where we live now. That's so cool. We're glad you have it here. So, um, so after '77, then, so you signed with Boston. You rejoined Campbell. Plus, Dick Drago was there, former Royal as well. You know what made you choose the Red Sox? How did that happen? Well, soup uh, the year before, uh, you know, dealing with Calvin Griffin over in Minnesota was a little difficult. And the year before, they actually uh, renewed my contract, and then during the season, they they uh, said, "Oh yeah, here." This is what you wanted. Here it is. So you know, this big money too back then was thirty thousand or whatever. You know, geez. <laughs> anyway, uh, Soup. He was a, he was the same way, but he says, "No, I'm not signing." And he became a free agent. And then the next year, you know, we were still in contact. He was in Boston, whatever. And he says, "Hey, Berg, you gotta you gotta leave. You gotta leave there." It's time. I says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll do it this year. So next year they did the same thing. They, I think they renewed me and said, oh, no, what, during the year, you know, I'll, whatever you want, you know. And this is, and I says, no, too late. You treat people how you want to be treated, you know. Yeah. And that's the reason I left. Yeah, so then the opportunity not to not only rejoin Soup, but he put in good word for me, too, obviously. And then was over there and, and uh, had a great time over there. I mean, that was that's just to this day is my favorite park by bar none. Well, yeah, like, well, 1980 on its own, a couple of things. So first of all, you're an all-star. You didn't get in the game, but I'm sure you have lots of memories. You saved 24 games that year. You had a two ERA on the nose, which is tough to do, 2.00. So, you know, what did that mean to you being an all-star? And what do you remember about that game? Well, uh, prior to the all-star game, obviously I was, I was doing well. And then we played in Baltimore on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday prior to the, you know, after the game, we were, Baltimore had several players, and we had five, I think, that year on the All-Star. So we're all flying, teams are going home, and we're we're flying to L.A. for the, the All-Star game. I pitched Friday, I pitched Saturday, and I pitched Sunday. 
So when we got on the plane, and that Earl was on the plane too, I said, Earl, I said, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm totally excited about uh, making the All-Star team, but I don't have to pitch in the All-Star game. The All-Star game is 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 a uh, not window dressing, but it's it's something other than there wasn't any incentive to to get in the game or do whatever, whereas the season is. And I'd been pitching a lot and a lot of innings, so I said I'd, a couple of days off will be fine. But I did have to warm up three times. <laughs> and then Gossage got in the game, was a right-hander hit instead of a lefty. And then uh, I noticed that day, uh, warming up, that I, my arm was a little stiff. And I'd, I'd never had any stiffness. I could throw every day, you know, multiple innings. And the next day, the trainer, they checked me out and had a little inflammation in there. When I, I think I was, we flew back to Milwaukee, or I think that's where we opened after the break that year, and then uh, shut me down for two weeks. So there was there was some damage in there, you know. Of course, everybody that's everybody that's ever thrown a ball, if you play for any length of time, you're going to have you're going to have some rotator cuff uh, tears and what have you. So. Well, also that year then, uh, you mentioned it earlier, so August 3rd then. So Don Zimmer takes you off the mound with two outs in the bottom of the ninth, moves you to left field in case anyone got on base, and then Mickey Rivers comes up so he could put you back on the mound if he needed to. So what do you remember about that? Well, we'd talked about it, uh, I mean, several times. and Zim was, I mean, Zim knew how I could play the outfield, and uh, Bill Campbell and myself, uh, during batting practice, I mean, I used to take all the center field, and Soup would take right or left, and we'd shag during, you know, the players that didn't like shagging or whatever, so uh, some of the outfielders, they didn't take many fly balls in. We'd probably do more now or do it before the game or whatever. So we were shagging all the time, and off the bat, it wasn't just taking fly balls, you know, hitting, so I could run them down real well. So Zim said, "Hey, if we ever need you in the outfield, you're our guy." And I said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm available anytime." Well, there was a left, right, left. So he brought, he took me out, but put me in left field, and brought in Skip Lockwood to face the right-hander. And then if he, if he didn't get him out, I'd go back to face the left-hander. <laughs> I don't, uh, I believe that it was a trivia question. I'm the last player to ever do that, the last pitcher. Oh, okay, I was going to ask. I don't remember that ever happening. Yeah, that's. But there's, uh, well, maybe even play the outfield. But I, I would assume there's been some National League guys pitchers playing the outfield because they run out of players and and they have to use a pitcher on occasion to play the outfield. But I know I was, I believe I was the last one ever to go from the mound to the outfield. Because huh. then you could come back, you know. Yeah, thirty years from now, you'll be at the Athlete trivia question, right? Yeah, though it's already been on. <laughs> I think a few years ago there. They had it at the Royals game and they had it at the Red Sox game. And in fact, when I was coaching in the big leagues, we went to well, I was in the minor leagues, but we went to Fenway and uh, Jersey and I were in AAA, so the AAA staff joined the the big league club. Mm-hmm. And they only could keep one of us in uniform each each series. So I said, Jersh, you you take the uh, I'll take the Cleveland series in uniform, and you take the Red Sox one, so I could roam around and go up on the monster and. Uh, kind of hopping out with the Boston fans, which was a lot of fun back then, too. Yeah. Well, what was it like, I was going to ask you, that rivalry with the Yankees? I mean, is it really as, as hated as people say it is? Can you feel it as a player? What was that like? Oh, yeah. It was it was tremendous. I mean, uh, 
not that it you didn't dislike the players, right? You just to this day, what of what of what of ever fans? What do they all say about the Yankees? Oh, they they bought they bought all those World Series. <laughs> well, they didn't do anything any, any different than the other team. Yeah, they all had the same option as they do today. Free agency, you can sign whoever you want. You can, you know. It's kind of like building a house, and the guy says, well, can you move this window over there? He says, yeah, you can do that. All it costs is money. Right. So it's the same thing with, with players. So the Yankees, when you, you're pretty impressive when you go to Yankee Stadium. It says, what, 34 pennants and 27 World Series or whatever. So there's no other organization that does that. So. Well, following 1982, then, you were 38. You had signed to play two more years with Oakland. You got in 66 games there with a 2.72 and six saves. Your favorite memories of pitching in Oakland? Well, when I went to Oakland, uh, actually, I was I was elk hunting out in Colorado, and they contacted me and said, hey, uh, are you serious about this contract two years? And I said, yeah. And I was, you know, 40 years old or turning 40. Yeah, they turned 40 that year. Anyway, and I says, I says, yeah, that's the only reason I left the Fenway is because they wanted to give me a one-year contract, and Oakland offered me a two-year. So I went went to Oakland at the end of my career. So I go I go to Oakland, and they, uh, you know, they want me to do. I says, I'm just I'm a pitcher. I'm a relief pitcher. I can pitch innings. I can face lefties. I believe the first six appearances I made in Oakland that year, the bases were loaded. Man. And they didn't score. So all, all different things, they, you know, no outs, one out, two outs. It was, I can't remember all, all the situations, but they didn't score. And then they ended up at the end of the year, uh, what I have, 100 innings that year? Yeah. Uh, I think it was close to 100. But I remember, I remember pitching in uh, one game in, in Anaheim, came in in the first inning, bases loaded. They already had like four runs. I struck the guy out. Pitched the next eight, never didn't strike another guy out, and we came back and won. <laughs> so the, to me, that's a relief pitcher. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no, no doubt about that. So you mentioned that you were 40 then at the end of 1984. Still effective though. I mean, I read you had what a pulled muscle in your shoulder at that point. I mean, was it easy for you to hang him up? Did you want to come back? Was there no offers? What happened there at the end? Oh no, I I could have gone to spring training with uh, uh, several teams, but when you have trouble brushing your teeth. It's a, it's you're not going to be very effective going to spring training. Right. And I I rehab. I did all the arm exercises and all the rotators. Well, but that was that was prior to orthoscopic uh, rotator cuff surgery. So that started probably in eh, in '84 '85. But they sent me to L.A. and you know saw Job and Curlin, and they said, oh, you got inflammation, tendonitis, what have you. Well. Obviously, it was a lot more than that. And then after about being out about four four or five years, it started, I mean, I could sleep on my left side finally. You know what I mean? That's how, how sore it was. But you know, then I started coaching, and I started throwing, you know, it's kind of like going to spring training. You throw a little bit, and then you throw a little bit more, and I threw, I threw BP for 19 years. But I did go have an MRI prior to my last year coaching. And the Royals team physician, who I just saw here a couple months ago, uh, we were at a picnic together, and we were laughing about it. <laughs> and I said, think of the damage in there. And he, he laughed when I went in there 
uh, after they did the MRI. So they had three rotator cuff tears, labrum <laughs> tear, bone spur, and a cyst. Oh, my gosh. And he says, I said, well, I can shoot my bow. I play golf. I don't have any pain. I said, I guess I'm pretty lucky. He said, well, I can go in there and clean that up. And I, I said, my, my wife's an occupational therapist, and she gave me some tests. She says, you don't, you don't do surgery unless you absolutely need it. So I've been very fortunate. But as far as being able to throw, that was that was the end of the road. If I could have throw, if I was able to throw, you think I wouldn't have went to spring training? Absolutely. Yeah. That makes me think about something I never thought of before, because people ask why pitchers can't go as long as they used to, why they have so many injuries. Is some of it, do you think, because the diagnosis is that much better and they're catching stuff earlier and shutting them down because of the money and you know, involved? Is, it, is that why there's guys going less innings, maybe? Is that a factor? Oh, sure. They, they, I mean, they're paying them a lot more money, but as soon as the guy has the little twins, they have MRI immediately. Right. And the technology is much better, so he has a little tear. They go in there, clean that up. Does he come back? I what I seen in the paper the other day where the guy with uh, I remember his name Johnson. I can't remember what organization he was having his third Tommy John surgery. Yes, that is right. That who was that? I saw that too. Yeah, it was yeah. Uh, what's his well, name? The, the Royals have a guy, Medlin. Yep, just, has had two, two and he's yep. throwing real well now. So the technology is much better. Josh Johnson, but, that's who it is. Yeah, but they have they have you know. Uh, who's the Andrews, the guy in, in where's that, Birmingham? Yeah. He does over five, 600 a year. They're doing high school kids. So you got Yoakum too, right? Yeah, they're doing high school kids. I mean, <laughs> kid has a little twins, and, and in my coaching career, I saw three, four guys blow their elbow out and had Tommy John. Wow. Well, they were on the mound, threw a pitch, and went right to the ground, and Tommy John said, did they ever come back? Uh, none of them ever... I don't think any of them ever made the big leagues, but they came back and played. Did they throw harder when they came back? Yes. Why? Rehabbed. Rehabbed more and actually force you to do that in order to get back and able to play. So they do a lot more surgeries now, and the technology is so much better. I mean, if they'd had arthroscopic surgery uh, in 84, I'd, I'd have done it in a heartbeat. Could have played longer? Probably. Yeah. Physically, it's it uh, wasn't that demanding. It was mentally, it's more demanding than physically, other than if not, if you don't have an injury, because you have to accept what the game gives you. If you throw the ball high in the zone, the guy whacks it and gets a double or hits a home run, whose fault was that? Was that my pitch? Yes, but the same thing applies, and all the time I coach, the same, same thing, and all the time I was a uh, big league coach, uh, the guy would say, oh, he hit a pretty good pitch. <laughs> and Ninety percent of the time, I'd say yes, a pretty good pitch for him, <laughs> not for you. Yeah. The other ten, the other ten percent is it wasn't down; it was right down the middle, belt high. Yeah. But you're you're covering your own, so you say, "Oh yeah, man," and he had a good pitch. No, he didn't. <laughs> the Royals had a guy named Daryl May. I remember that would use that excuse every oh, outing. Yeah, it drove yeah. me nuts. I, I I remember him. Yeah. 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 So, so, so getting to your coaching real quick here. So, 1991, you became video coordinator. So, what exa- is that? Just like a phantom title, so you could be around the team, or did you actually have video skills? What was that like? Uh, I was, I was, I mean, when I retired, I had already intended to to come back and coach. I love coaching, but I wanted to have a couple of years to geez, do uh, real things that real people do. And have a barbecue in the backyard, uh, not go to the ballpark, uh, 
183 days or two, 250 days in a row. You know what I mean? Right. Or not be traveling. So I did that, and then I, I said I'm gonna I'm gonna get back into baseball this year, and I called. I was gonna call the teams that I was with because they know who you are. The first team I called was the Royals, and I talked to Hurt Robinson. He said, oh, geez, well, we're, we're going to hire a sixth coach. Uh, come in tomorrow. So I went in the next day, and uh, uh, Duke, John Watham, hired me that day. So I was a, uh, what was it? I was the advanced video scouting coordinator or whatever. Okay, so you kind of did advanced scouting then. Yeah, so I, you're, you're scouting other teams okay. on, on the video and had a couple of kids working for me or guys working in a video room and then you decipher the information and put it on the guy's desk or this guy uh, any tendencies on two and two he throws a slider you know that kind of stuff yeah 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 okay okay so and from oh Duke got fired yeah and then McRae brought in his coaches at a couple of new coaches any there so I said oh, I want to stay in the organization I'll go to the minor leagues yeah, and you did. Yeah. Ni- 92 to 96, Rockford, Eugene, and Wilmington. I mean, favorite memories of those years, 92 yeah, to 96? Great. great uh, took the family, went to Eugene the first year. Uh, God, that was phenomenal. But the countryside, too. The fishing was <laughs> phenomenal. The travel, the beauty. Yeah, that's perfect for you, right? Oh, it was perfect, yeah. So then and then uh, went to uh, Rockford, and that was pretty close, too. So, you know... I'd, I'd drive home, uh, and if we had any uh, free time, all-star break, and the family came up, we'd get an apartment for a couple of months. I mean, it was just kind of enjoyable. Yeah. And then Wilmington was a lot of fun, too. Same thing, countryside, uh, you know, the atmosphere there was nice. And the people you're working with, that, that was that was good. And then the opportunity came to, to join the big club. Uh, I don't know what my title was that first year, something to do with video, too. <laughs> and then bullpen coach, right? Bob Boone. Yeah, kept a computer or whatever I did, <laughs> and then next year got the bullpen coach. One more question about the minor leagues. Really, my my forte because I spent yeah. my whole life there, you know. Oh yeah, uh, about the minor league. One more question about that. Did you do you have a favorite success story with a pitcher that you worked with between Rockford, Wilmington, and Eugene? Anybody stick out at one of your projects that kind of you're proud of today? Well, a lot of guys. I mean, uh, Glendon Rush. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim Burdak, mm-hmm. uh, Rosario. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, those three were left-handed. So, did I spend more time with them? No, they just they they spent more time with me. <laughs> yeah, you know right. what I mean? Because because yeah. I was left-handed. Right. So they're asking me more questions, and am I giving them any more information than the other guys? Absolutely not. Did I did I help them? Well, uh, there are no there are no shortcuts to get to the big leagues, but if if I'm talking to somebody, and I did it my my minor league career too, I'd, I'd ask uh, some of the players, I'd say, who's that guy over there? Oh, that's that's Jimmy Bobo. Uh, where do he play? Well, he played at Syracuse. Uh, do he play in the big leagues? Uh, I don't think so. Who's that guy over there? Oh, that's Johnny Black. Uh, what did he do? Well, he played for Cincinnati for three years, and then he played for... Texas for a couple of years. He was a left-hand pitcher, huh? Yeah. Did I talk to him? Absolutely. Right. Did I ask him a lot more questions? Yeah. And a lot of them were not so much as to what to do because you can watch the game and you know what to do. 
can you do it is the fact. And then after the fact, how you how are you reacting to what what happens? And I learned at a very young, in fact, a lot of guys that uh, when I say mentored, I was the oldest guy in the team a lot of times, especially my last several years with Boston and in Oakland. I was I was the oldest pitcher by far on the team. So uh, the guys were saying, "Geez, how do you take? You just gave up a home run and lost a game. How do you take that?" So I said, "It's it's baseball. I I didn't plan on doing that, but what am I going to do? Going to go bang my head against the wall and?" Go sit in a corner and cry or whatever. No, you, you just—it's over, it's done. It's like driving your car and you somebody somebody smashes into you and you get out and you're swearing and everything. What are you going to do? You take it to the body shop, you get it fixed, and you you get a loaner and you drive you drive off. And that's kind of more of the west the way I approach baseball from the standpoint that whatever happens today, whatever happens right now is over. Same with pitchers. I mean pitching. The guy would come in at the end of the inning when I was coaching, too, same thing. I mean, I'd see the umpire, that's pretty pretty close in that one pitch, wasn't it? He'd say, oh, yeah, that was a strike. I said, well, what did the umpire call it? <laughs> and, and they used to get, I mean, hitters and pitchers used to get really, really ticked off at me. And I said, no, I'm telling you the truth. Whatever the umpire called it, there's not going to be a review. He's not going to change it. So whatever he called it, he didn't like it. But how quick do you have to throw the next pitch? Yeah. You have to do it within 30 seconds. You're back on the mound. You're not, you can't think about what you just did or what the umpire just, boy, he really, he really put me in a hole by calling me. That's too late. I'm sorry. you got to move on. So you just got to forget and move on. And if you don't, that's why a lot of guys don't make it to the big leagues and aren't successful as they should be, in make, my estimation. Makes sense. Coaching, you could give the guys some of that information. Some guys accepted it. Some guys, to this day, I can remember guys coming out, but that was a strike. I said, Jimmy, <laughs> no, it was not, because he didn't call it a strike. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it yeah. seems like every pitcher in 2015 has that attitude, too. <laughs> That's... Well, every time, every time the, the hitter, when I was doing that video stuff, we had the high-tech equipment. And they'd come in, hey, Berg, was that a strike? I'd say, too close to take. <laughs> and they'd get ticked off. Say, what do you mean, too close? That's not a strike. Too close to take. <laughs> and on the pitcher's standpoint, he said, man, that was a strike. I'd say, hey, you take a coin, you float it up in the air, and it comes down, it's 50-50. <laughs> he called it a ball, so what are you going to do? No, but that was a strike. No, it wasn't. <laughs> you know? I, I'd, I'd laugh. I'd say, no, it, I, I understand where you're coming from, but it, it wasn't a strike because he called it a ball, so what am I going to do? <laughs> am I, am I going to, and to this day, some guys, I mean, because they lost the game, because you walked the guy, whatever happened. So getting back to being able to accept what the game is going to give you makes you a much better player by understanding that. Yeah. I, I, it seemed like I was always that way. Okay, it's happened. Now, now what? What do we, let's, Let's move on. Yeah. I mean, the more you dwell on it, the worse it's, worse it's going to get, and you're always trying to cover your own by saying, oh, yeah, but that, but that was a strike. Right. Uh, I'm sorry. No, it wasn't. So. Yeah, that's totally that was true. my attitude. 
Yeah, 98 to 2000, you mentioned it. Boone and then Muser, you were up here as a coach. And then I wanted to ask you about 2006 to 2009. So being back with the Omaha Royals before they became the Storm Chasers, and you were there for the, as was I, for the final night of Rosenblatt Stadium in 2009. How special of a stadium was that to you and, and you know, favorite memories of Omaha? Well, it was, you know, when you're in the, when the minor leagues, was it a nice stadium? Sure. Was it, was it obsolete? Yes, and then the people that owned uh, the team then, they they wanted a new stadium, and they actually wanted to be in with the NCAA over there at that stadium, but the NCAA was so tough that they wanted to charge for parking, they wanted to uh, have uh, access, I mean, they wanted to designate all the dates, they couldn't use their clubhouses, you were going to have to have other clubhouses, and all sorts of things, and I can remember that guy coming in. I can't remember his name. He was the owner. They they have since sold it. And he said, "We're we're going to build one out there in uh, Sharpie County." You seen the one out there? Oh yeah, Papillion, love it. Warner Park. Yes, and I, the guy says, "We're not we're not messing with the NCAA. They can go jump." So they went out to Sharpie County and they built that, and it's it's fantastic. It is nice, yeah. Yes, so it's just I mean Rosenblatt. I mean, uh, I, it was just a stadium to me. There was, are there, there was several in the Coast League a lot nicer than that. Well, yeah, yeah. But it was just the, the people at Omaha saying, "Oh man, that's that's fantastic." No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's kind of like a ball strike. No, 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 it's not. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a stadium. There ain't no coin flip though about that one, right? Yeah, uh, <laughs> just a stadium. It's the, you know. So. With crammed on clubhouses and all that, so yeah, I mean the clubhouses. And they were, how many times they remodeled three times, and they yeah. were just little cracker boxes. And yeah. so, but anyway, it's it's baseball. It's minor league baseball, and guys used to complain about it all the time. You know, I used to tell them, I said, we don't like the the, the facilities here. Play better. Yeah. And that's the bottom line. If you're in AAA, every guy in AAA has got a chance of being in the big leagues that year, especially pitchers. Which I'd tell them, I said, hey, we've got 12 pitchers here. All 12 of you guys could be in the big leagues at some point in time this year. And a lot of times it happens. So if you're down there in AAA, what do they call it? The disgruntled staff? <laughs> yeah. Everybody thinks. And I used to do the same thing. I'd say, if you want to know why you're not in the big leagues, just come and ask me. I'll, I'll tell you the truth. It's not a derogatory thing. I'm not talking down to you. I, I just say, well, you're not you're not getting breaking ball over enough. Uh, you're you're not being aggressive. You're trying to nibble too much, getting behind the counts. I said you can't do that and be effective in the big leagues. And some guys would believe you. I said the only way to change that is to get better, and not only means physically, maybe train better, whatever, but mentally be tougher. Not on yourself, just tougher. When I say tougher mentally, about hair. See this. My job is to throw it towards the catcher. Do I want the catcher to catch it? No, I do not. I want the guy to hit it the first pitch because statistics have told me you're going to make a lot more outs. And if you don't adapt that attitude, I do the same thing now when I do clinics. I ask kids, I say, what, uh, what's the object uh, of the pitcher? Oh, strike guys out. Or I said, okay, now you're throwing towards the catcher. What do you, what do you want the hitter to do? Oh, one to swing and miss. Wrong, wrong answer. When you think about it, that's the wrong answer. You want him to hit it and put it in play. Obviously, you get two strikes, and the higher you go, 
professionally, obviously, you get two strikes. It, the mentality changes where, yeah, just as soon you swing and miss at this one. Right. So. Yeah. Well, I know Dusty Hughes gave you a lot of credit when I talked to him. He's a big fan of yours. So. Yeah, he was. I mean, he was good. And well, he made it. Yep, he did make it. Had yeah, nice. and it, he could he could he have played longer? I thought so. He was he was uh, a lot of those guys like Hughes. Uh, they had the kind of stuff I had. He had better stuff than I did, and I I've seen a lot of guys with a lot better stuff than I had, and weren't as successful. And the reason being, I don't know. I mean, it's to me there's a lot more mental. Uh, than physical in there because you can you can do this, you know we've seen you do that. So how how proficient and how you approach like we just talked about how you how are you, how are you approaching facing this hitter? And I used, I used to say what hitter? I'm I'm throwing towards to the catcher where he's holding his glove. If I can do that proficiently, obviously the results are going to be good regardless of who's hitting. The game has told me that not. I didn't come up with that. That reminds me of Kevin Costner in For Love of the Game. Clear the mechanism, and he does that. Yep, yep. That's and then the faster you do it, the, the faster you you have to you have to forget real fast. Yep. Because as soon as something bad happens, and then it snowballs, and then you come in the dugout, the first thing you say, ah, oh, the umpire messed that pitch. Or, <laughs> yeah, you know, he was struck out. And I understand. Yes, I know that. But no, he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the only way to look at it. It's it's being just very realistic, and the, the better you can handle that, obviously, that you have a better chance of eliminating a lot of the other garbage that's out there. Yeah, totally. Well, last few things, and thanks for all your time, by the way. Um, you know, which former Royal teammates do you still you know keep in touch with to this day? Uh, I see Fitzy. Fitzy and I lived together down at Forty Seventh and Jarbo. Oh, okay. Because we play in a lot of charity golf tournaments here in KC. I uh, really enjoy doing that, not only meeting the people, but you get to tell a lot of baseball stories. And guys ask you a lot of questions, not only about the Royals, but about playing and different players you played with. And myself being, uh, I, I shouldn't say well-rounded, but I got to play with five different organizations. So do I have stories about Ricky Henderson? Yes, do I have stories about Harmon Killebrew and... Tony Oliva and Rod Carew and Yastrzemski and Evans and Lynn. I mean, all kinds of guys you played with, let alone all the pitchers. So you have a lot of funny stories that you can tell and different situations that you can tell. Yeah. In fact, uh, the guy from the Hall of Fame called me a couple of years ago when it's who got Ricky Henderson and Jim Rice got inducted along with Joe Gordon into the Hall of Fame. Remember that? Mm-hmm. I do, yep. Well, they called me and said there's only one player in in history that was connected with all three of those. <laughs> played played for one and played with the others. You know who that is? Of course, it must be you, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I had no clue either. Yeah. I said, no, I have no clue. He said, it's you. Yeah, that's funny. So then they, did, they wanted uh, some stories, you know, with Ricky, because my locker was next to Ricky's when, when I was with Oakland, and they wanted... Uh, some about Joe Gordon and obviously playing with Rice and so you get to tell stories and when you play in these terms. So Fitzy, I see a lot, yeah. And I see Dave Wickersham once in a while and and I mean I get to see a lot of guys because we have alumni meetings. Yeah. But the guys that play in the tournaments, you get to see more. The guys you played against prior and guys like that. So 
Well, and the, the last thing I had for you then was just I wanted to ask you about five guys that you pitch with, speaking about stories that are no longer with us, to see if you had any memories of any of these guys. Some of these guys you probably barely knew, but uh, real quick, do you know anything or any memories of Mo Drabowski in particular? Oh, uh, you just took a number one. Yeah. I tell more stories about him than anybody. Oh, really? Yes. Why? Because of the type of person, not only the type of person he was, but his attitude on the field, off the field. That's it. He didn't. He didn't. Tra- uh, I shouldn't say he didn't train me. I mean, I, I I saw his, and I already had that, but it it reaffirmed all the things we were just talking about. About hey, it's just a game. Whatever happened today, it's over with. I mean, I could tell you gravel stories for hours and hours. <laughs> and he was by far the most fun. Uh, he was he was our party organizer. Uh, he there was there wasn't anybody, whether it be the general manager, any reporter on the back on the flights end that he wouldn't give a hot foot to. <laughs> and he was he was the he was the king of that. He was I mean, but any anything he just his attitude was so so loose. Not only during the game, after the game, before the game. I mean, so I, I tell a lot of travel stories, believe me. <laughs> a lot of them you can't tell, but quite a few of them you can. <laughs> right, a lot of them aren't arable. How <laughs> yeah, about... he, was just, he was just one. There was, I mean, there's a whole bunch of, uh, when you say weird guys, like, you know, the story about, uh, they always say, oh, yeah, the left-hand, the left-handers, the boy, they're, they're, they're left-handed, they're weird. That I played with a lot more weird right-handers than left-handers. I'll tell you that. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, Bill Fall and golly, you you know some of them. Oh yeah, Roger yeah. Nelson. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was my roommate too. Roger. Oh, I didn't know that. Roger the Dodger. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Another yeah. guy uh, that you know, real tragic story. I don't know if you remember him much. Don O'Reilly. Don O'Reilly. Uh, well, I remember in spring training. Because he was there, he was there. Uh, I thought his room was right. His room was right next, right, right next to mine and uh, uh, the guy who got traded for Pinella. Uh, oh, uh, Whitaker. Yeah, Whitaker. Yep. In spring training, but I, you know, they said, "Oh, yeah, this kid from Kansas City, da da da." But I remember him getting in some trouble. I don't. know What happened to him? Well, he got killed, right? Oh, you didn't know about that? Yeah, he was uh, working at a convenience store, I think in Independence or KC Mo, and it was a robbery, and he got shot in the head by the robber and died. Oh. Like the overnight shift. You remember what year that was? <sighs> 97, 99, 96, yeah, somewhere I, in there. I, I'm, like I say, I, I, I'm sure I've read about it and all that. And yeah. Yeah, he, but he was, I mean, he was just a local guy and had a pretty good arm, I just remember, you know. Yeah. Um, how about Aurelio? Is it Monteguido? Is that how you say that? Uh, he was hardly here. You might not remember anything about what, him. What did he play? Pitcher? Montegudo. 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 I said Guido. That's why. <laughs> well, Montegudo was, the, but he was here with Oakland. Oh, maybe he was too. Okay. Yeah. yeah and because I, I, I met him uh, Oh, years later when he was, I can't remember, we were in spring training and he wanted some fish. For a fish fry for a bunch of his teammates and stuff. Oh, okay. He was coaching. He was coaching in uh, San Diego or whatever. So Mark Clear and I went out and caught about a hundred pounds of bass one night, and 
and took him along and gave him to him for his fish fry. I think he pitched like with, with the Royals for like six games or something. It was like a cup of coffee. But you're right; he was oh, here before that too. Yeah, that could that could have been. But I I, I ran into him several times coaching. I know that there's another horrible trivia question. I was you know researching him the other day. That there's been three guys in big league history named Aurelio. There was Lopez, Rodriguez, and him, and all three died in car accidents, which is kind of Rodriguez more, got uh, died in a car accident. Yeah, sort of Lopez, Senior Smoke, I think they called yeah, him. Yeah, Senior Smoke. Yeah. So that's kind I of. Remember a, up with Rodriguez, boy, he could he had a cannon. Whew. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last two, Lance Clemens. Lance Clemens. Lance Clemens. Well, he he got in a car accident too, right? Uh, he I don't know about that. He might have. But he was uh, left-handed. Yep. But he was. I was. Uh, I never. I don't believe I had ever had any contact with him. That remember what year that was? Seventy-one. Mm, I want to say. I don't uh, know in front of me. Was it something around? I, he was here again, like six games. So. I don't. If I knew the year, but I it, it doesn't. I don't remember. I don't remember him a lot, but I just remember he was left-handed. Yeah. If I'm Let me see what year it was actually while I'm, while we're talking about it. Lance Clemens Royals. I thought it was after that. It was 1971. Seventy-one. So well, then I, I was there. I was Ten games. There. So he was there. And uh, Boston in '74 too. Yeah. So that's I, right. I can remember uh, we went back for the hundredth uh, Boston a couple of years ago. They had the hundredth anniversary. Anybody that ever played for the Red Sox uh, was invited back for this big gala they had over the weekend, whatever. And I told Mark Clear, I said, I said, Mark, when we go back there. There's going to be somebody come up to you and say, "Hey, Mark, how you doing?" And you won't know who they are. <laughs> he says, "No, nah, that won't happen." So, when I knew it was going to happen, I looked at the five years I was there and the rosters. And there was a couple of guys on there that I didn't really remember because they got called up in September. You know what I mean? Right. Or or just got called up the last week. Somebody got hurt. Whatever. Yeah, they're quiet. Don't play much. Sure enough, we were walking off the after they had the big ceremony on the field, we were walking off, and this guy goes, Mark, Mark. And the horse turns around, and he says, hey, how you doing? And he says, I'm so-and-so, you remember me? Mark says, no. <laughs> he says, I caught you the last day of the season in Yankee Stadium in, in 1981 or whatever. And Mark had no clue who he was. <laughs> he was a catcher. That's classic. And I had no clue who he was because I was there too. And I said, that's one of the guys I had no I, – I didn't know which one he was, but I checked it out. <laughs> that's funny. You read the rosters ahead of time. That's a good idea, though. Yeah, well, geez, because you've seen guys you hadn't seen in 25 years, and all of a sudden you're saying, hey, how you doing? Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you an interesting story. I, pl- I played with the toy cannon. Okay. Jimmy Wynn, right? Yeah. In 1963 in San Antonio. So in the last three years, I played in some charity golf tournaments, real big one down in Houston, prostate cancer tournament. And Jimmy's always there. And so the, this was a couple of years ago, the first year I played in it. And, and he was he was limping. He's on a cane, and his back is bad. And now he's, a, he's in a wheelchair now a lot. Anyway, so I go up to him and I say, Hey, Toy. He goes, Hey, Berg. How you doing, man? I said, doing good. He, he said, man, I haven't seen you around much. I says, Toy, the last time I saw you was 1963 in <laughs> San Antonio. Other than TV. 
I had never seen him in person since then. I saw him on TV. He was in the National League all the time. I was in the American League. But that, I mean, we were we were good friends in San Antonio. It almost like we just saw each other last week. Hey, I haven't seen you around much. <laughs> Forty years later, nineteen sixty-three in San Antonio. Yeah, yeah. Great guy. That's good. Last guy is a split. I'm sure you've got lots of split. You know, he was he was my roommate also. Man. Well, Roger Nelson the first year, because you always had a roommate back then. Right. And then let's see what what year did split come up. Split was 70. Uh, Let's look that up, too. Did he make the team out of Springer, or did he come up during the season? I think he came in September, I thought. Let me look. Paul Splodorf, baseball reference. Here it is. He came up in 1970 for two games. Let's see when he... The two games were both in September, yep. Yeah, and then next year was made the team, obviously. Yep, yep. So then the next year was 71. 71? Yep. I think that's the year we roomed together on the okay. road. Yeah, we were, we, were, we were good friends. And we had lots of fun, too. And in fact, the last couple of years I played in, this year I didn't, but the two, two prior years I played in the Split Orf Golf Tournament. Mm-hmm. And I played with his wife and daughter. Very cool. Because they, well, they knew we roomed together, but we, you know, I'd tell split stories while we're playing and stuff, you know. Yeah, he was a great guy, just very, very quiet, very personal. Didn't, hey, don't bother me, I won't bother you. You know, and that's the way he was. Great broadcaster, too, there at the end, too. Yeah, well, he, we, uh, he gave me a dog. Uh, I was a big bird hunter, had English setters, and one of his neighbors there in Blue Springs uh, wanted to give him a dog. And he, he, he told him, he said, hey, I, I don't want a dog, but I know somebody that would take care of this dog and he'd be fantastic so he asked me and i said absolutely so he he said hey the guy's going to give me an eight-week-old female uh english setter got good papers and good bloodlines i said yeah i'll take it in a heartbeat had that dog for 14 years oh that's great i had four of them but that was one of the four i had that's such a great story well yeah I guess very last question for you, and again, thanks for all your time. The last question is, what would you like to say to Royals fans listening right now? Well, Royals fans listening, I mean, geez, what a what a great time for Kansas City, huh? Yeah. When you think of the way it happened last year, not only Kansas City, but the the entire country and actually world, not not only the USA, but think about it. Uh, Casey was uh, not well known as far as baseball because of the past since '85, but all of a sudden. They win the uh, playoff game, I mean the wild card game, and then they win seven more in a row, and now they're now they're worldwide as far as notoriety. So do they pick up thousands and thousands of fans? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And now do they have that wasn't that wasn't a fluke last year? They have the they have the quality. So the the fans of Kansas City, every every city is the same. If you win, are you going to? draw more fans they broke the record this year absolutely if you lose are you going to draw less fans pretty pretty good chance are people going to talk down in the mouth about the team and the organization when you're losing like anything like any football baseball hockey whatever yes they are and on the other side of the coin things are going good now is is everybody in a much better atmosphere or better state of mind when they talk about the royals absolutely that's just human nature, and it's it's a good thing. It's great for the 
not only the economy of Kansas City, but it's great for for the fans that get to say, geez, we got a chance of going to the World Series again. we got a chance. We're going to be in the playoffs. And so it's a good thing, yes. Yeah, well, hopefully there'll be another memorable October. And, and again, thank you so much for all your time and, and you know for all the great memories and for answering all the questions. And, and hopefully I'll run into you one of these days and definitely stay in touch and, uh, and go Royals. All right. Thanks, Dave. Okay, take care. Have a great day.